Welcome to the IAF Global Regulatory Update Podcast. I'm Martin Boer, the Director of Regulatory Affairs at the Institute of International Finance in Washington, D.C. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend, Jason Harrell. Hello, Jason. Oh, it's great to be here, and, and thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. Jason is the Head of External Engagement at the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, or DTCC, in New York. For those of you who don't know DTCC, it is a significant post-trade financial services company providing clearing and settlement services to the financial markets. It performs the exchange of securities on behalf of buyers and sellers and functions as a central securities depository by providing central custody of securities. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing financial system resilience, an area where Jason is very active, including in many IIF projects around cyber risk and operational resilience. So Jason, it is great to see you and great to hear your voice. And I hope that life is returning a bit to normal in New York. Can you begin by telling us a bit about your specific role at DTCC as head of external engagements and what that entails and what your priority areas are at the moment? Oh, sure thing. And yes, things that I think are slowly returning to normal. We'll see how it continues to, to go over the next six months. As for my role, I'm the head of external engagements. I'm responsible for DTCC's engagement with clients, authorities, the industry and trade associations, and standards bodies on cyber and operational risk. This includes the delivery of several services, including advocacy and education, client engagement, which handles client requests for information on our cyber practices, and also our client's cybersecurity program, which is our cyber assurance program for members and participants that connect to our DTCC infrastructure. For the purpose of this discussion, though, I'll focus on advocacy and education, a service where my team partners globally with the trade associations and supervisory authorities to support the development of principles, policies, and rulemaking in the areas of cyber, resilience, new and emerging technology, and financial digitalization. Given the number of public and private collaboration activities and DTCC's commitment to thought leadership in this space, I've been hyper-focused on the, the number of, of global initiatives that are occurring across those different areas. Great. Well, why don't we start with COVID-19, since you said that things were slowly returning to normal. Uh, so obviously, COVID-19 is not only a health and economic crisis, but it's also really radically changed the way that we're all working. So how has the past year plus and living through the pandemic, how has it impacted the way that you work inside DTCC and how you work with your counterparts? Yeah. So first, I always want to say thank you to all of those listening that are first responders or have family members and spouses that are first responders. And I also want to give my condolences for those who have experienced the loss of loved ones uh, during this pandemic. Um, for the context of, of, of this question, you know, I, I spent almost 40% of 2019 on the road, which allowed me to have numerous in-person interactions with many of my colleagues, you know, you included, uh, and people from other organizations. But when the pandemic shut down our offices near the, the end of Q1 of 2020, I had to adjust to maintaining relationships on virtual platforms, really. Um, 
I believe I probably use just about every video conferencing platform available. Uh, but I've also had to be more deliberate about making time for connecting with people that I was used to seeing several times a year. And then maybe, and, and probably even more importantly, the health and wellness of individuals that report to me and uh, my fellow coworkers. Uh, in, a, in another sense, the uh, pandemic has also allowed me to uh, connect in ways that would be difficult, more difficult for me before. I mean, since all of the meetings and conferences are conducted through a virtual platform, uh, I've had the opportunity to more seamlessly connect in public forums uh, across the globe because I can do that all live and in color from Brooklyn, New York. Great. There's a lot of focus at the moment on being a resilient, staying a resilient through these times. Uh, we hear about operational resilience and cyber resilience and market resilience. Um, can you talk a bit about how the financial system itself has fared during the pandemic and, and how do you measure a success there? <laughs> yeah, it feels like resilience, 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 right? It's the umbrella term that appears to capture every aspect of financial, operational, market, and strategic risk. And really ask the question, how would you recover operations in a rapid but safe manner to ensure the safety and soundness of the financial markets. Uh, personally, I believe that the financial institutions have performed remarkably well through this pandemic. From a market perspective, you saw that we were able to manage through market volatility, and I believe that it underscored the strength and resilience, not only of the financial firms, but also of the central counterparties, uh, other market infrastructures tasked with managing market risks. From a technology perspective, financial institutions were able to demonstrate that they could operate uh, through large workforce displacement, where the majority of users moved to a work from home environment. In the forums that I have been president, uh, there seems to be overall agreement that, you know, the management through the crisis has been an overall success story. That being true, right, obviously, we had to adjust during the pandemic. But at some point, as things normalize, you know, there is the question, to what extent will we go back to how it was versus how will sort of the new normal stay the new normal, right? So um, in what ways do you think that the financial system and the way that we work has changed and will continue that way? For example, are there areas around adoption of technologies or how we, uh, how we focus on cyber risk or how we work or risk management? Are there areas where there's either been an acceleration or really a fundamental shift, which you think will continue even after we're through this? Yeah, that's a great question because I believe that the pandemic has altered each of those areas that you mentioned. From a how we work perspective, even as many financial institutions develop return to office plans, most users will work from home in some capacity for the foreseeable future. Even as the vaccine rollout continues to progress, I believe that we are proving that there's a certain level of effectiveness that can be achieved through this model. As it pertains to risk management, and I include cyber risk in that risk management bucket, uh, this evolution will actually force financial institutions to review their practices. For example, in cyber risk, we now have numerous non-homogeneous uh, networks that are simultaneously connected to our corporate infrastructure and each has different risk profiles, 
the number of streaming devices, the number of Internet of Things devices that are all connected to those networks. And this shift increases the surface area for potential attack vectors that can be used by different threat actors to gain access to our corporate infrastructure. As a sector, I think we continue to look at ways to automate uh, our operations and controls, to digitize certain financial products, and to basically increase operational efficiency. And I believe that the pandemic has, has and will continue to serve as an accelerant for that, so that we'll see new and emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, distributed ledger technology, and uh, cloud-based solutions really uh, take a new form in, in this new normal. And I also believe that it will accelerate financial institution and fintech partnerships, which may be sought to provide a quicker time to market for some of these solutions. Jason, thank you for those great observations. Why don't we first start with what you were saying about cyber risk? Uh, Obviously, with so many of us working remotely and, and not having seen our colleagues in such a long time um, and, and using, you know, tablets and home Wi-Fis, and you talked about the attack vector being different. And then you also have our clients, of course, who are also, you know, working off, you know, tablets and phones and home Wi-Fis and such. Can you talk a bit about what the cyber risk landscape has looked like for the past year? Are there sort of new ways that cyber risk is a problem or is it sort of the same old adversaries under a new COVID wrapper? Or maybe it's a bit of both. I, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, first is, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. So one thing that we, we've seen in the financial services sector is that there's been an increase in the number of phishing attempts that use COVID as, as a backdrop. So whether that's, you know, uh, COVID heat maps or COVID donation sites or something to generate an individual to click on a link and therefore have that adversary gain access um, to the network. So, you know, we see, we see the same uh, types of attacks using, you know, COVID as a background. I think that uh, one of the things that we'll have to look at going forward, uh, you know, from a cyber perspective is, you know, in order to, to increase uh, employee productivity, we had to bring on different types of applications, so whether those be video conferencing or other collaborative tools, we need to bring those things on quickly. And so going back and reviewing some of those um, some of those applications to make sure that the property proper security controls are in place and that we've had the, the right baselines. I, I think the other part from, from a cyber perspective that we'll have to look at is, you know, since the landscape has changed and people are accessing remotely, are the monitoring tools that we have in place still as effective as they were when individuals were in the, the office? So those are just a few things that we'll have to look at um, as, as an organization to make sure we're still managing cyber risk appropriately. But I, I would say from a, a, a threat actor, it's using the same tools. It's just now focusing more on areas that may be weaker due to the shift of the workforce. 
And you mentioned software, Jason. So if we look at third parties and outsourcing, obviously uh, you are yourself a significant third party to the largest financial institutions around the world, but you also work with many third parties and vendors yourself. How do you see that relationship between the supplier and the supplyee, you know, in terms of mitigating cyber risk and trying to prove resilience? Where does that balance sort of get struck between the two? So I would say as an industry, financial institutions continue to expand their use of third parties to conduct critical business functions. In addition, we use similar product suites to perform and implement cyber controls within our networking environment. Um, this expansion of third-party use actually makes it very difficult to ensure resilience across the entire financial services industry. That said, you know, there are activities that we can do to increase the probability of a rapid but safe recovery of market and consumer services. First, we can use due diligence processes to validate that third parties have strong operational risk and governance frameworks uh, and that they can identify risk and that those risks are appropriately escalated uh, and there's a timely remediation. Uh, second, and uh, where it's appropriate, we may need to extend our cyber tabletop exercises to include the critical third parties so that there's clarity in the organizational roles that firms may need to play out during a cyber or operational incident. And then lastly, uh, as financial institutions, I believe we can work together to identify market risks, identify potential risk mitigants for these risks, and then work together as a financial uh, institution to implement those identified measures so that we can quickly recover from these types of incidents. So really in a partnership with the suppliers? Yes. Let me ask you then a bit about the policy landscape, because obviously the regulators and the supervisors are also looking at these issues very closely. And we have seen indeed the last couple of years that there's been a lot more regulations and principles being, um, being um, agreed upon and implemented both for cyber risk, but also for operational resilience. But they're not necessarily always implemented the same way, right? Jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And this is an issue that you and I have worked on a lot in the past. And I was just wondering for a firm like yours that operates, you know, across borders and in different jurisdictions and your counterparties are in lots of different places. To what extent is it an issue when the regulations are different in different jurisdictions? Oh, yeah. So first, I guess I'll say, you know, the ultimate end goal during any operational event is to quickly recover and provide services back to the financial market or to the consumer. We've termed disability operational resilience, but to achieve it, you know, financial institutions, we must have uh, strong cyber controls, operational risk controls, resilient business operations and third parties, and uh you know, resilient outsourcers. When we look at principles, principles are a great start since these begin to align the desired outcomes uh, that we have from a public and private sector uh, viewpoint. The challenge is that at the principle level, there may be numerous ways to actually achieve the outcome. Each method uh, may have different supporting artifacts, frameworks, organizational structures that could then deliver on that outcome. There are scores of supervisors and regulators, and they each make decisions that they believe is best for their covered entities. 
but when rulemaking gets specific to the point where there's only a few methods that will achieve the desired result, and these methods differ across jurisdictions, uh, then for global and multinational organizations, uh, we may be required to implement disparate frameworks to manage the same risk. And that not only increases the cost of delivering a solution, but it also increases the risk that resilience can be achieved uh, during a major or material operational event. And I think that is where, you know, those types of divergences is where we as global and multinational corporations have a, a very hard time reconciling. So it almost gets in the way of the actual outcome that they want you to get to because you're trying to meet multiple uh, different um, approaches at once. Um, are there specific areas where you think it's most important right now, most critical to find consistency? Uh, one of the things we've heard about, for example, is that you know, cyber incidents, how to define them, how to report them, who to report them to, that that's an area where you know, there could be significant um, efficiencies. Are there sort of top topics on your priority list here in terms of where market fragmentation should be avoided? So as a financial market infrastructure, you know, DTCC, as you pointed out uh, before, is considered to be a critical third party to many of these financial institutions. A primary reason for having financial market infrastructures is that we create market efficiencies and we decrease the cost of financial services while instituting market risk management capabilities that are especially important during the times of high market stress. Therefore, the most critical decision-making that must be done for operational resilience is actually defining how the current third-party risk management frameworks will be adjusted to achieve the level of assurance needed between financial institutions and their third parties, with the understanding that third parties are not homogeneous. We have large uh, third parties, we have small third parties, we have highly regulated third parties, and you have third parties that actually sit outside of the regulatory umbrella. And as I mentioned earlier around the use of, of FinTech providers, I think that given the market's increased use of these providers, that financial institutions will be keen to know and understand what is required uh, to ensure resilience in these cases. Second, incident reporting and information sharing needs to be more consistent and strengthened. There are currently scores of disparate global frameworks used to report on cyber incidents, and there are equally disparate definitions of what is a cyber incident. These differences not only create difficulties for financial institutions to know what to report, where to report, and the timeframes for reporting, but it also makes it difficult for the supervisors to gather the intelligence from this reporting in order to share that information back to financial institutions so that we as a sector can further enhance our protections against emerging threats. And I think it's that feedback loop uh, that raises the floor of the industry's preparedness and actually increases and enhances the resilience of the industry, which is exactly what we need. Those are great priorities, Jason. In closing, since you are a firm that's you know thought a lot about these risks and that's working on them, and given your familiarity, and you know also given the fact that resources uh, vary across firms and maturity levels and experiences, 
Are there any sort of effective practices that you think are particularly pertinent for institutions to consider when they're still building up their resilience maturity? That's a tough question because there's so many facets that comprise a comprehensive resilience program. I guess I would say that at a basic level, organizations should document you know, those services, processes, technologies, uh, and third parties that they use to deliver their core operations, meaning those operations that determine their lifeblood of that organization. Second, I think that they can re review their current operational and cyber risk management programs that manage the risks around those areas for gaps and weaknesses. And then I would say, lastly, that they can conduct scenario uh, exercise scenarios that actually simulate operational outages of those services and walk through their incident response plans. Um, this will help the organization understand the information needed for certain decisions as a result of an outage. And it will also help decrease some of the operational friction that can occur during the, the incident and build a, a muscle memory for when these events happen so that they're more fluid in their response to operational events. Thank you very much for sharing those insights. Those are very good tips. Um, Jason, I very much enjoyed our conversation as always, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you again when things normalize. We also want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast and hopefully you found it interesting. Uh, we hope that you all stay safe and healthy and please consider subscribing to the IIF Global Regulatory Update podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much.